0: Thank you for listening to Truth In Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's word is truth and that his truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Well, good morning. Welcome and uh, it's good to be with you this morning. We're pleased to have with us this morning a a daughter of our church who's abandoned us and gone to be with the the not much Dutch. (laughs) It's good good to have you back, Maddie. It's good to be with you. Oh, Kira, I didn't mean to say that about you. All right. (laughs) And Ross, welcome. How many of you know Ross? Well, a good many of us. Ross got married to Maddie about a month ago? Yeah. yeah. Just a month ago. You went on your honeymoon? Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. Where did you go? Mexico. Where in Mexico? Cabo. Was it fun? Yeah. Any of you been to Cabo? Ah, well, do you like that area? Yes. Yeah. Is it beautiful? Is that on the east or west coast? It's the very end of, of Baja California, is Cabo? Uh-huh. Uh, okay, uh, then I know where it is. Well, it's good to have you, and it's good to see Madeline looking happy. We'll be, we'll be watching to make sure she can. <laughs> uh, um, this morning, we're going to be going through the second session of, uh, and I wanna thank Sam, he's not here, but he gave me some, uh, some uh, a, a protein bar last time we were together and that made me feel much better (laughs) so if you remember that Um, we're we're going to be going through the class the second class in this module bob put this together as i said and taught it i was in the first group that he taught and so i have a memory of him teaching it you'll have to suffer through me but you get his powerpoint (laughs) and he's a powerpoint maestro not quite the powerpoint maestro that The father of a young man in our church is there's a young man, a young husband in our church whose father does PowerPoint all over the world. (laughs) And uh, when when they want to do, when Apple wants to present something, he'll do the PowerPoint and then run it for them at their at the convention center or things like that. And so uh, sometimes I want to see his PowerPoint. (laughs) But this is Bob's. We're on the Kingdom of God. The second week, last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the covenant. God is a God of covenant, but in order to enact a covenant, you need authority. Authority establishes a covenant. It's one of the definitions of a of a covenant is that it's sovereignly administered, a, an agreement sovereignly administered, and to have a sovereignly given covenant you need a sovereign and a sovereign means a king so when we say that god is sovereign which is a term that i hope we all are familiar with and and love that he rules all things what we're saying is that he is the great king and everything is under his rule and there's no part of this universe or world that's outside that rule pray for us okay will you do it absolutely Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us all here. I pray that our worship and study of you is glorifying and that we would have hearts full of fear and love for you. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. So we're thinking about God as king, and king requires what? Subjects. Subjects, a kingdom. Right, thank you, Jeremy. A king requires subjects, like a father requires children, right? And so every name that God has implies some kind of relationship, doesn't it? I'm not sure every name, but many of the names of God imply some kind of relationship and God is a king. Christ is a king, right? God is a king and, and the Son of God is a king. And not just a prince, but a king, right? And it's one of the things that, uh, that is a sign of the Trinity that the Son isn't just a prince, you know, in his incumbency waiting for something, but he's actually a king. The father is a king, the son is a king. And so we're thinking about the kingdom of God, and as you think of the kingdom of God, do you think past tense, present, or future? Summer, what are you, what? Present, present. okay, anyone else? Reese, were you gonna say something? Future. Anyone else think something? What? Future? How many of you think present? How many of you? Okay, hands up. How many of you think future? Why do you think future? Okay. And you said future. So, Reese, you or Mrs. Dries, uh, why do you, uh, Renee? <laughs> yeah, you can tell the age, I'm saying. Mrs. Dries. <laughs> Reese, why, uh, Renee, why would you say future? What evidence? I just always think of leading others to God, and you want them to be in the kingdom of God. Okay, biblically, do you have a? Okay, are are you basing that on the Bible, or are you basing that on your thinking? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being critical. I think you have to bring your own thinking into this. You you, you understand what I'm saying? Is it what would you say governs your thinking? I don't know, years of being a God's word. Yeah, okay. I don't know what shaped it, but okay, but sir, do you think of passages that shape it? And Reese, I'm asking you as well. Here. What? Well that's that's kind of a yeah, okay, that's a statement, right? Uh, biblically, do you have anything that would say future? Uh, David. Probably, I was thinking like, uh, in Revelation talks about Christ thousand years. Thousand year reign of Christ, which is, yeah, okay. So unless you're, and, and we get into all sorts of things with this that I don't want to touch. Let, whether, unless you're millennial and think that that kingdom reign is right now, you know, and that's probably what all these Dutch people think. <laughs> and so we don't want to offend them, do we? And you're, we're not going to count you as Dutch, but you look awfully blonde. So, yeah. I would think for, for present, like, Jesus says that, that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father and reign there until all his enemies be put under his feet. The last okay, so what are you saying? That it's now. It's now. Oh, yeah. but I think you just said the opposite. Like, like, his kingdom, <laughs> you? His kingdom is presently coming. Like, it's... Presently is, coming. Is, that's a, a sophisticated tense, you know what I mean? <laughs> Presently coming. <laughs> like it's, it's here now. He is reigning. He's been reigning
1: since okay.
0: the All right. Father. But it's, he's okay, let's, let's, let's divide it and then we'll, we'll go to your sophisticated view. Okay, because I think you're right in some ways. All right, but uh, what biblical evidence do we have that the kingdom is not now, but future, as Renee and reset, said. It's as plain as the nose on the end of your face, or at least as what? Sin. Well, sin, but biblically. Okay, what does Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. So Renee may not be thinking, uh, able to grab it out of her mind right now, but obviously this has infiltrated her thinking. Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done. On earth, so it's an implication that it's n- at least not fully in evidence, right? But what about those of you who said it's present? Uh, I think of when Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Is at hand, which yeah. means right here, right? Okay, so you have both these statements. Is Jesus confused? No, obviously not. Is the Bible confusing? Well, Let's be honest, at times the Bible is a little confusing in areas like this, right? But uh, as, as we have been reading in the pastor's college, this book on the church, one of the thing, points he makes is that the Bible is no self-help, uh, he's in the 1800s, so he doesn't use this terminology, but the Bible is no self-help manual. You know, it doesn't give you, do this, you know, like this, the seven habits of a highly effective Person, you know that book? Obviously, you've not read it, right, Tate? (laughs) But no, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective, something like that, you know? Seven things, you do it. What's one of the things, you know? Get up early. Get up early, you know? It's like Jordan Peterson talk, right? And there's a certain truth in it, but there's also a certain facileness to it, right? You do these things, that you can get up early in the morning and do evil all day, yeah, it doesn't make you highly effective. I mean, you may be effective at evil, so there's much more to it than than Jordan Peterson or the author of this lets on. And the Bible is not that kind of a book. The Bible tells you in one verse, answer a fool according, what? Does anyone know what I'm thinking about? According to his calling. Uh, Less TV-wise, in his own eyes, and then the very next verse, or the very preceding verse, is what? Answer who according to his folly. Do not answer. Do not, yes, sir. Okay, or, like, or you will be like him. Or it'll be like him. You, you know, and so the two verses say exactly opposite things, don't they? You know, exactly opposite, and they're both true. Well, the Bible is this kind of wisdom. It's not human wisdom. It's you know thousands of years of men inspired by God writing things. And when you read it, it's not going to be easy. And you're going to really need it to percolate as much as you're going to need it to you know, be just a simple drink. In other words, I think I said this last time I was in here. How many of you have read Job recently? A few of you. Where did I say this recently? I know I did. You said it in here. I did. It's not easy, is it? I mean, it, the, 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 the Bible is not a simple self-help book. And so when we come to the kingdom, we have these emphases that are, it, it seems at least, somewhat at war with each other. So what is the kingdom of God? <laughs> There's a crown. This is Bob's artwork. There's a crown. Which is it? Both. Is it both right now? Well, probably not the wooden one now. Well, or probably not this one now. Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to say, which is it? This world is the place that counted pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So the kingdom of Christ is not a kingdom that's without the the thorns, is it? We, we want to claim this now, and there is a certain sense in which we claim this now. But have any of you known people who've claimed this side so strongly that they've ruined their whole lives and have gone off the rails Christianly? No? I can think of a public example. A guy okay. down in Florida who murdered the abortion clinic doctor. He's a, he's a special case, and so we'll leave him aside, but th- there are many more prominent. What is the, the, the gospel that you're gonna be wealthy? Uh, you know, it's just entirely this. The God doesn't want you sick, you know? God doesn't want you poor. God doesn't, and it's, it's a reflection of a of, of view of the kingdom of God, isn't it? And so we, we, <coughs> we face the question, now, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and and when it is, and when John was taken into custody, Jesus comes into Galilee, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, which at hand means it's right at hand. It's not like it's distant down the road. You know, it's in sight, not in sight. When you have something in hand, it's very different than having something in sight. In sight is visible but not there in hand is in your possession in your grip right so after john was taken into custody jesus started saying it the time is not future but fulfilled it's a a fulfillment the kingdom of god is at hand all these things shout that it's it's current it's present don't they that it's inaugurated as a kingdom the place it's at hand it's close and, and so Jesus says the implication is we need, to, we need to understand the time. We need to live as though the kingdom is here. And yet living as though the kingdom is here does not allow us to deny this and embrace only this or to embrace uh, uh, only this and not accept this. And that's an equal danger, isn't it? The, the idea that we only suffer and that there's no power and no glory and no victory in the church or in the Christian life, that the kingdom is, is, is an idea that has filled the, at least the American evangelical world for at least 100 years, 120 years. And it teaches us things like, how many of you have seen the book series Left Behind? Okay, so you know the Left Behind series. Now it's based on a view of the kingdom of God. And the view is view that says that the kingdom of God is not here. And that this kingdom is the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of Satan. And it needs to be, well, we need to be pulled out of it. And at some point, God pulls us out. It's called the rapture. And we don't deny that God pulls his people out. But The question is, are there several pullings out? Does God do an initial one and then a later resurrection? These kinds of things. And this, what this one says is it gets bad, it gets bad, it gets worse, it gets worse. Finally, God pulls all his Christians out and it's just evil, only evil all the time. Some people may come to the Lord, but they're living in the midst of a world that is entirely at rebellion with God. Honestly, it does sound a little bit like certain chapters of Revelation, doesn't it? You know, when the beast is given power and, and so... And so it's, it really is this kind of view that says if it's embraced as a, as, a, as a logic for Christian life, it says we're powerless, we're victims, we can't expect to win, we're going to lose one day, we're going to be wiped out, but glory to God, then he comes in and he establishes us. Well, In a certain way, it's kind of true, isn't it? But in another sense, it's very, it's an enervating view. Which means it it saps you of vigor. It saps you of energy, this view. So these things are, um, they're vital to how we live. All right. Calvin says, God reigns where people have promised and submitted themselves to his righteousness, sovereignty by striving for the heavenly life through self-denial and contempt for the world and their life on earth. The kingdom thus consists of two aspects. Namely, that God is to change our evil desires through his spirit and that God is to reform our senses so that we can obey his sovereignty the kingdom of god thus is where god reigns supreme through his spirit so two aspects god changes our evil desires through his spirit and he reforms our senses now we all get this change our evil desires don't we we all want that we all would say that this is at the heart of christian faith but he says the kingdom consists of a second aspect god reforms our senses and what does he mean when he says the kingdom thus consists of two aspects, change evil desires, we all get. Reform our senses. Is it talking about what we do with our bodies, like our obedience, how we live our life? How does that differ from change our evil desires, what you're saying? Okay, I'm not sure it's dividing it like that or that we that he would take that kind of approach that the mind and the body are distinct and there's a certain sense in which that's true. But I think he actually is speaking about something a little different from that. What would you any any Yeah, but that you're, you're almost seeming to, to, to treat senses as though it's desire as well. It, you, you understand what I'm saying? You, you reform our, and, and it's, it's become, in your view, if that's true, I would say it's another form of desire. Okay, am I making sense? We can disagree with Calvin, but I think he's right on this. Joshua. It, it reforms the way that we see sin, see the people around us, feel, like, feel different, you know, sin okay it reforms our senses what do our senses bring us feeling fear feeling that's a kind of feeling fear what else do they bring us Joy. yeah those are feelings per- who said that they bring us perceptions right can you live without perception what does your perception do to, for your life Hey, what is something that your senses have brought you to that is significant about your life? Okay, see what? I mean, I couldn't do anything in school really. You couldn't do anything in school, so it teaches you everything that you learn in school. That, together with hearing, brings you that. Your senses, Produce your desire, right? Would you desire a pretty girl for prom if you didn't have eyes? Probably not, you know, it just, it, it informs everything that you, <laughs> whether you get one or not, I don't know, okay? But <laughs> senses don't get you everything. But, <laughs> but you know, the, your senses bring you this view of the world, right? And so why is God reforming our senses in his kingdom? So that we want, or not want, because that's desire, isn't it? Okay? Okay, I'm with you, but what what is the role here? Seek his desire. No. Okay. So that we can see that Jesus is a king, right? If you're not going to worship Jesus as a king, if you don't see him as a king, if you don't hear him, as the voice of a king. If you don't look at this world and see God working all over the place, you'll never see it as his kingdom. So, to, you know, if you're gonna get from the view of the, only the bad to the view of the good, you're gonna need your senses changed, right? You're gonna to have to see the power of, of the kingdom. On the other hand, if, if you're only on one side, if you're on the side of money, health, and all these things, well, you need your God needs to assault your senses with the reality of this world, that there is a sense in which there are many great Christians who are poor, suffering, struggling, and ill. Right? And so you need your senses to guide you in this, but your senses have to be guided by God. I think it's a great statement, okay? We need our senses reformed if we're gonna live in the kingdom of God. Gerhardus Voss, I just wipe that smile off your face now that you have a Dutch last name. (laughs) A Dutch theologian who uh, who lived in the United States wrote to him, Jesus, the kingdom, exists there where not merely God is supreme, for that's true at all times and under all circumstances. So God's never stopped being a king, has he? So why does Jesus say the kingdom of God is at hand instead of that it was here a thousand years ago and it's still here? Well, because, but where God supernaturally carries through his supremacy against all oppressing powers and brings men in their wills to recognize that God is, so this is the senses. to recognize that God is supernaturally reigning and accomplishing his will which is something that that suffering teaches us. We go into suffering, we look at it from the outside, and we say, ah, this is garbage. This This is against God's will. But we go through suffering. How many of you have suffered in some way recently that's been strong? Has it taught you anything? What has it taught you? It's taught you that God can bring good out of what your senses say is evil, right? How many of you have learned that? You know, you can't suffer as a Christian. You can't suffer in this world with equanimity, with praise to God, unless your senses are reformed so that you see that God is working. And that in everything, because God is a great king, all things work together for good. For those who love God and who are called, in other words, those who are the children of the great king. Right? You're a child of the great king. Everything is to your good. It's hard to see, isn't it? Unless you're young and in love. And then everything seems nice, doesn't it? Right? You know? But there will be the days when the baby dies or there's a miscarriage and these things. And at that point, that's when the real test is, do we believe in the kingdom of God? All right. Kingdom of God is the coming of King Jesus. This is John Frame, the author of the systematic theology that we're using. God reigns forever and ever. His throne is established from eternity. And in his kingdom, he he chooses certain subjects. So everyone is a subject to God, right? Certain people are, are in his kingdom. So God's kingdom encompasses the whole Earth, right? And when Jesus comes to Earth and says, "The kingdom of God is at hand," He's not denying that God has been reigning and that there have been, that God's rule has, has led everything to the point where He is. But what he's saying is, in a special way, the kingdom of God is at hand and certain people are entering it. What kind of people enter the kingdom of God?" does Jesus say? Well, repent and believe, but he has a, a, a very, very powerful, what? Childlike. Yes, yes, but I'm thinking of unless you receive the kingdom like a child, that's true. What else does he say, though? Another thing that's, you know, it's, it seems almost the opposite of that. Violent men are taking it by storm, right? The kingdom is not just to sit back like a baby and go, ah, let it wash over me. But Jesus says, uh, it's been suffering violence and violent men have been taking it since, since the beginning, he says. Remember that? You know that verse I'm talking about? You don't? In reference to John his baptism. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful verse about the kingdom and there's a certain violence in it. The Bible is full of violent people who are advancing a real kingdom, you know? Is there any sense at all? in which the, the missionary endeavor of the church is violent? Do we go f- into the world with violence in our hearts as missionaries, as people who are trying to win the world? Would you think that would be appropriate? Abby, what do you think? Is it appropriate to go out and to bring the kingdom of God with violence? I'm not saying gunshots, violence, though. There's a certain, I don't know, manly vigor to it. You know what I mean? Aggression? Aggression, yeah. Aggression would be part of it. What what do you think? I, I didn't hear. Godly zeal. Do you think that's true? Necessary? To a certain extent, what extent? Who, who, who would answer? Who thinks there's a certain extent to which we should be zealous and violent, forceful? Okay. Yeah, I think hatred of sin is one, one clear area, and so you have the examples in the Old Testament, many examples, but the most famous is Phineas, right? Where Phineas is, is uh, a descendant of Levi, and the Israelites are in the plains of Moab, and the Moabite women are coming down, and they're, they're attracting the Israelite men to their idols by their favors. And uh, and then this leader of the Israelites comes with a Moabite woman right into the tent as the whole group, is, all of Israel is gathered, the congregation is gathered to mourn because God's judgment has fallen and they're together and a plague has come. And this guy goes into the tent with a Moabite woman and Phineas takes his sword and runs it through both of them, right? And from then on, that man is and his descendants are set aside by God in a special way to serve him, because they saw the kingdom of God as having a zeal, a violence to it. I think Jesus made it clear that swords are not a part of the equation in the new covenant when he said, those who live by the sword die by the sword, and that my kingdom is not of this world, if it were. And so we don't do it like Constantine and say, if you don't convert, we'll kill you. <laughs> Get baptized or die, you know. But, um, but that doesn't mean there isn't a certain violent zeal to the greatness of the kingdom and to those who are who are progenitors of God's kingdom in this earth. Eh? Progenitor's probably a bad term. And so God says when Israel wants a king, why did you need a king? Right? Samuel, the people come to Samuel and say your sons are bad. Why did you want a king? Haven't you been taken care of by me since the beginning, and you haven't had a king like the other nations, but the Israelites say give us a king like the other nations, right? Why does God say to the Israelites that he is unhappy with their desire for a king? God is their king, he says I've been your king, right? Thank you. And And yet the people have been unsatisfied with his kingship, haven't they? And so he says to Samuel, God says to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. So God is a king, but we like to vest our trust in earthly kings, don't we? And and we we view the kingdom of God as, like the Israelites. What did they find lacking, do you think, Summer? What was lacking in what God had done? What did they think they were gonna gain? You know what I'm saying? They said they wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted to be like the other nations. In what way, though? What are they missing? Power? But are they? Are, I'm asking the question. They want power and security. I think those are. They want something they can see and physically touch and have somebody who's physically there over them, not God that they can't see. They wanted it to be easier. They didn't have to use their senses. To... But God said, when you get a king, it's not going to be easier. You're going to have to be taxed. You're going to. There he's going. To, you, you know what I'm saying? Even, even they could see that the surrounding nations had a fiercer taxation and more slavery, and you know what I mean? They're not stupid, the Israelites, and so they know that these things aren't going... You, I mean, am I making yes, sense? Easier, they don't have to exercise faith. <coughs> they just, like, do whatever their king says. They're going to have to exercise their senses in a new way like, like Calvin speaks of, right? They're going to have to see that God is actually ruling instead of saying, well, you know... It's up and down, and good and bad, and who knows. But to recognize that God is working throughout it, which is always the challenge, isn't it? How many of us think God is ruling in Washington D.C. today? Do you? You, you know? Do you think He's ruling in Washington D.C.? Yes. You do? Yeah. When these evil people are allowing the yeah, He sets up. What's that? Leaves them to their sin or so he's ruling. He's ruling through Nancy Pelosi? Through that that governor of New Jersey who said you can kill your babies up to a month? Murphy? God is ruling? How many of us think God's ruling through Murphy? Well, I mean it's a hard thing, isn't it? Yeah, Jeremy? So what's he doing? Yeah. In Judah, in particular, there's good and bad, good and bad. Good and bad, good and bad. And and even in the so in the bad, there's some good, but even in the good, there's some bad. So, this okay, Renee? What were you gonna say? Come on, Renee. Renee, I want to hear from you. I've got your name coming out of my mouth with (laughs) with ease. What were you gonna say? You? I heard you say something. I know, but aren't you frustrated? I'm frustrated, I get up in the morning and I, I think I gotta just stop reading anything. You know, what I, mean? I, I think otherwise I don't think God's ruling. I wanna, I wanna go out and kill people, you know what I mean? I, I think about the, the murder of these babies that they're saying, I wanna, I wanna kill them, you know? And I think, God, what are you doing? You know, I was reading a psalm this morning and it says God's, it's a psalm written by, not by David, it's someone after him. And he says, you know, you went out with David, but where have you been? You know, you've abandoned your people. Well, we can always say, like you said, that, was was it you, Aaron, who said that? that he's We've abandoned him. But that's the reality of my life. I'm always wandering. I'm always abandoning God. If God doesn't work, I go straight to hell, right? So we still, I don't, I, I'm, this whole thing, I, I'm, I'm going to move on. There, there is this, uh, this reality that, you know, they talk about in seminary. It's, it's utterly unsatisfying, but it does give you a nice little chart to explain things, all right? Where are we? Okay, so, you know, there is the suffering, the present, there is the future, there are all these things. And so we've come up with two ages. This age, the age to come, right? This is this age, and somewhere it ends with the return of Christ, right, the parousia, and the age to come, but as this chart, and this isn't Bob's, this is someone else's, Begins. So this age and the age to come begins with the resurrection of Christ, right? But that's nonsense, isn't it? Why? <laughs> well, Jesus comes three years before his resurrection and says, kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus sends his disciples out, right, to go out in their missionary journey, and when they come back, what does he say? Summer. I know you know it. Some, some of you others. What does he say when they come back rejoicing over what's happened? Can you think? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's been kicked out. So certainly, you know, this is even though this has the appearance of, of some kind of precision. It's not precise, is it? Do we the resurrection, the crucifixion? The birth, uh, you know what I mean? At some point you're going to go, where do we put that? The promise to David, the promise to Eve. You know? So this is the thing. And, and what we have is this age, the age to come, and they overlap. Now this gives us the nice feeling that there's a finite beginning of overlap and end of overlap from the resurrection to the parousia, the return. Uh, I don't know. You know? I'm not gonna state it that clearly, but that is the way it's described, the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is the already and the not yet. It's already here, it's not yet here. And that's true, and it leads to a nice chart, but it's, to my mind, it's not a very satisfying explanation of this. I think this thing can't be explained with charts, it has to be lived in your heart. Uh, You know, you have to understand that it's here and live as though it, and you have to be hope, because if it's here, what's the use of hope, right? And so we have a hope, and it's and a hope is something that's not here, right? But what does faith do? Faith is the substance, right, of what? So what does faith do? Well, it drags, it drags this and, and it makes the two lines go together, doesn't it? Faith is the, you know, it, it pancakes the already and the not yet by faith. It's the substance, the hupostasis, the, the very essence of things hoped for and the assurance of what? Things to come and so faith You see how I really think we've got to think about faith not as this cognitive thing. That's hope. But faith takes these two things and and brings them together and empowers our hope and gives substance to it. All right. Um, I want to. I don't. Uh, Two minutes. Okay, I want to. No, I'm not going to. It's not worth it. Luther started a distinction that I think has been very unhelpful. It's in some ways absolutely true, but it it becomes, if you hold to it rigidly, it becomes a way of living in this world without any, any impact. And it's called the two kingdoms. That there's the kingdom of the world, and there's the kingdom of God, and that we live in the kingdom of the world in one way. In the kingdom of God in another way. And so those who are the strong advocates of a radical two kingdom uh, belief really say, you don't collapse those two lines, you separate them. And you live part of your life in this one and part of your life in the kingdom of God. And don't try and bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of the world. If you start trying to demand what God wants here, here you're not recognizing that God has given the government authority. And so these people have a very nice system that allows you to say, "Well, I don't really have to fight on this side, I live here, I, I'm here as well. And, and it has become a kind of a deadly thing in portions of the reformed world. But praise God, we don't have too many people who live in that portion of the reformed world. We understand that God's called us to act in this world and that it's not a place where we just say, well, too bad. You know, and this, this idea leads to people saying things, well, it's a sad thing the way the pagans kill their, their children, but that's not, the, not the kingdom of God. It's, you know, it's the pagans, and they're doing what pagans do. And, and so it leads to that kind of thinking, but that's evil. You know, We are not living here and sort of onlookers here. We are in both worlds. And it's true, there is the kingdom of this world and the kingdoms of our Christ. They're both there. But what faith does is to bring them together and to act with the power of God, not just on that side of the equation, but in the world. All right. So that's what that. Well, it's 10 o'clock. I got it done. Um, Joe, would you close us with prayer? Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.